it's a John le Carre spy novel. Actually, it's a John le Carre novel meets one of those golden films about the Olympics, like Chariots of Fire. It's a tale of dirty, sordid intrigue, potential criminal corruption, and danger in the world of sporting beauty. Welcome to Crime Waves. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. This is Crime Waves. My name is Declan Hill. I'm an associate professor of investigations at the University of New Haven. And each week, along with my students, and this week it's Eric Krebs and Aaron Griffin, we examine the world of crime, corruption, and forensic science. And my particular passion are those things, organized crime and corruption in sport. And this week, we're looking at the massive scandal around the state-sponsored Russian doping regime. That's where the government, and effectively most of their sporting apparatus, was forcing many of their top athletes to dope. And not only were they making many of their top athletes in many of their sports dope, they were also operating a criminal extortion scheme where an athlete, if facing a doping suspension, would pay the Russian and top world track officials a bribe, and the doping problem would go away. Now, the interview today is with the man at the very center of this scandal. He's a gentle, courageous person with an iron will and a firm moral compass. Vitaly Stepnov was a Russian anti-doping official. He met a beautiful track star. They went out on a date. And in the middle of that date, she turns to him and says, effectively, you do know that everything you do is nonsense. You know, we're all doping. All, all the athletes are doping. And your bosses are the guys who lead that doping programs. Now, we're going to pick up the conversation with him as he and his now wife begin to discuss about what they were going to do about this issue. You'll hear us talk about the IOC. That's the International Olympic Committee. You'll hear us talk about WADA. That's the organization who's in charge of making sure that all Olympic sports are dope-free. And their name is World Anti-Doping Association. And underneath them, in each country, are NADAs. Those are the National Anti-Doping Associations. So pretty much every sporting country in the world has their own national association in charge of anti-doping. Except, as you'll hear, the Russian Association was for years systemically cheating and defrauding the system. Vitaly and his extraordinary wife exposed them, and they're now living in hiding from any possible revenge. This is a Crime Wave special, a feature interview with Vitaly Stepnov. So we sit in the car, we... Uh... We start talking. Uh, I'm enthusiastic about what I'm doing at my work. Uh, how I'm, you know, we are as an organization, and I'm part of it, trying to fight doping and making sure that uh, athletes compete on a level field. There is no cheating, no doping. And uh, well, at one point, she basically just tell me, oh, 
just shut up and you're an idiot and uh, the the Russian anti-doping agency helps us dope and and the main idea of, for any Russian track and field athlete is uh, to win international competitions so you can uh, talk about the uh, about Russia being a super sports power. What, had you any idea of this before she opened her mouth on your first date and said, you're an idiot? Uh, the Russian Anti-Doping Agency was created in, in the beginning of 2008. It's my understanding that it was created because Sochi Olympics were awarded in 2007. So uh, a country as big as Russia had to have their own anti-doping uh, agency according to the World Anti-Doping Code. So I was one of the people um, being hired by the newly created organization. From the beginning, I saw that we have many problems, a lot of problems. Uh, people within Russia are just used to uh, fake doping controls. And uh, for the first, I'd say, year and a half before I met my wife-to-be, uh, uh, I was thinking that I'm a part of the team that's there to see those problems, to, to adjust it and to make things better. Uh, but uh, she kind of opened my eyes. And uh, and at I, that I, moment, Vitaly, you, you thought Rosada were the good guys in a very difficult field. People were doping all around you, but Rosada, your organization, were the good guys. So when she said that on that date, you, you, you didn't know what she was talking about. What, what was your reaction? Well, I wouldn't say we were the good guys. I, I mean, we were never really welcomed <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, 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 unless you did what, uh, what the sports federations, uh, national governing, uh, sports national uh, governing bodies wanted you to do a doping controls, which uh, basically test only clean athletes. Yes. And if you were trying to work according to the water code, then uh, you, you were not really welcomed. But again, I, I was under the impression that I'm there and I, we are slowly getting things, uh, fixing things and getting it better. But like she said, you know, there are a lot of, a lot of things you're not seeing. And, uh, and the reality is, at least in, in track and field, uh, in athletics, that uh, all, all the runners she knows, uh, everybody is doping. And, and they're doping with the help of your bosses, the people that you think are the good guys? Yes, with the help of the Russian anti-doping agency. So you're sitting in the car with this beautiful woman that you're beginning to fall in love with. And she says this, it's got to rock your world, Vitaly. Like, what do you do? What do you say at those moments? Well, the date is not going great. <laughs> uh, there is not a lot of connection between the two of us. Uh, but, you know, things are not perfect in this world. So, uh, well, it's, uh, you know, I, you know, I, like you said, I, I like the girl. Mm -hmm. uh, I still don't clearly know why. And, you know, why, why, why we connected, the way we connected. <coughs> but um, so, so I... I <laughs> so the two of you... Yeah, and I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable. That's not the job. And I don't want to go into, to, to, uh, uh, you know, uncomfortable emotions. Because I know it was a difficult time for you guys. But at one point, you guys decided to, to do 
something extraordinary. You started in a, a really your own tale of investigations, really opening up that. What did you do? How did you do that? Uh, well, you kind of gone through some steps to get to that point. But okay, but please tell me. Uh, well, we have a first date. We get married two months later. Uh, Five months later, I started informing on my wife uh, about her doping to the World Anti-Doping Agency, uh, which tells you how good of a husband I am. Uh, okay. Wow. And, uh, yes, how how <laughs> how easy things were between us. Uh, that uh, you know, I had I was stubborn. She was stubborn. She completely believed that she's doing something that everybody is doing, and uh, and all all I saw was this. Uh, uh, world anti-doping code that supposedly all athletes follow and in the middle of it uh, there was a marriage <laughs> uh, but uh, then uh, for a few few more years there was there has been a big conflict okay you was which it got to a point where both of us decided that it's better not to talk about this issue uh but at the same time, be, be behind the scenes, there are also international sports organizations that, unlike Russian anti-doping organizations and sports organizations, I, at least I, I believe they were trying to do something yes. right. Yes. Not everything, but something's right. Uh, so they are catching some of the athletes. And my wife at one point becomes one of these athletes. She... Uh, she had abnormal blood passport values, which was which meant that she didn't have a positive test. Okay, but she, but she had abnormalities in her blood uh, over the period of time, uh, and she is informed by the International Athletics Federation uh, at that time that she might be sanctioned uh, if she agrees agrees to the sanction. That would be a two year ban. If she doesn't agree to it and she wants to fight it. It would be a four-year ban, most likely. Uh, in this case, in, in, in Russia, mostly all athletes, they just agree to the ban. Uh, or they, they just decide to fight it, and they say it's all politics. It's an international, uh, you know, uh, English-speaking uh, yes, English people are just uh, afraid of Russians, and that's how they're getting rid of us. But... There is no doping going on within the Russian national team. And uh, that's when she had to make a decision whether mm -hmm. she follows one of these two paths or she can take a separate path, uh, understanding that in according to the WADA code, if you get sanctioned the second time, most likely it's at least eight-year ban or a lifetime ban. So that's what she's facing if she keeps lying. And uh, because she knew that I am you know, anti-doping official. And uh, <laughs> over yes. the past uh, three years, I've proved that uh, I can be stubborn enough not to uh, uh, not to put marriage on uh, ahead of, uh, you know, my anti-doping beliefs. Uh, yes. She basically told me that uh, uh, in a way you, you won. Let's, uh, let's try to fight this and let's see what happens. I'm not going to lie what I was a part of. I'm not going to uh, you know, make up any political stories, and uh, I will try to get as much evidence as I can, and uh, and I'll 
become completely clean with the World Anti-Doping Agency. So that's how did, how did you guys go about gathering that evidence? Uh, well, uh, my idea was be as simple as possible. Uh, it's uh, at that time, uh, 2012, when everybody starts having uh, smartphones, uh, which uh, all have the possibility of recording. So no, no special equipment. So I just told Yule, you know, hold your phone in your hand and like everything is natural and uh, we'll just install a program on, on your uh, phone that uh, uh, you can record things, e even videos uh, without having your screen on. And, and that was the approach. Just go and talk to people uh, about the usual stuff within the Russian Athletics Federation and to your athletes. Uh, coaches and and see where the conversations go and when you say record these conversations you're talking about it would give us a sense of of this because i you know these are olympic training camps are they not for the russian team at this moment like, uh, like what, well, what what's well, the they're... level of the officials that that you that you're recording oh people uh that supposed to make sure that there is no doping going on the, the medical uh, personnel that instead uh, actually they they supply doping to athletes yes doctors uh the head endurance coach of the national team uh so these uh, these are the very top level coaches in russia in the Ol russian olympic infrastructure this isn't like the perm regional high school coach these are the top guys Yes, the people that she knew on the personal level, the people that she had dealt with in, in the past uh, by getting to that top top level, uh, being a national champion and going to international competitions. Um, Vitaly, before we go right down the, the trail of what Yulia and you were able to uncover and the dangers that you had in that campaign, let's take a step back. For three years now, you've been writing to the World Anti-Doping Agency, desperate to blow the whistle. What was your reaction? How, what was that relationship like between 2009 and 2012? Uh, it was my only hope. Uh, I was, uh, I believe that the organization is there uh, that has within the organization people that really try to fight doping. And uh, so I, I went to these people because I because I thought they were honest people. And uh, how did it go? Uh, since the Vancouver Olympics in, in March of 2010, I, I, I was writing to them. I had a few meetings as, as well with them. Uh, I was giving all the information that I have through uh, about my wife, about my work at, at the Russian Anti-Doping Agency about what I was seeing in, in general from, from my level. Uh, but but there was uh, often this impression that, first of all, this honest people, they, they don't know how to deal with the problem. They didn't expect this problem. And uh, above all, the, the world anti-doping code is, is not uh, suitable for such problem because again, uh, according to the WADA code, if there is a problem, doping problem within a country, uh, that problem must be referred to that country and the, the country must deal with it. 
So basically all the information that I was providing, WADA had to return back to the Russian anti-doping agency and, and say, uh, deal with it, fight doping. Hang on. You mean you were providing information potentially to an international agency, World Anti-Doping Agency, and they, they would or could take that information and pass it back to the Russians, the Russian anti-doping agency, the same guys that are actually running the, the doping program and say, oh, by the way, you've got a problem. Somebody's telling us that this is the problem, so fix it. Well, that, puts, yes. that, that puts you in huge danger. Like, what's your reaction to that? Well, I, back then, I didn't understand many of these things. Yes. Uh, I, and, and again, I was seeing things from my two-point low level of where I am. Yes. Uh, I, I felt that I'm, I'm not in the position to ask questions. Uh, all I can do, the best I can do is to provide information and hope that these people at international, uh, uh, you know, above Russia on international level can use that. And do the right thing, yes. Yes, and, and do the right thing. But but I learned later, uh, according to the WADA sports officials, that before 2015, according to the WADA code at that time, they couldn't even do anything with the information I had. Uh, but to me personally, they were saying, uh, thank you for your information, and uh, we are trying to deal with it. But in reality, nothing was changing. Well, in, in reality, the whole anti-doping agent, uh, the whole anti-doping structure uh, failed uh, thousands of global athletes uh, around the world. Uh, I'd, I'd say for that period of time, from 2010 to 2015, when uh, when they had information, and not just from me, but from other people, and uh, they they didn't do anything. And then later, they just said, uh, uh, "We had a." legal paper that said we couldn't do anything hmm. which i guess is the reason why the some of the more critical olympic officials now are saying if you were a clean athlete between at least 2010 and 2015 and you were competing against guys that could dope in all these different championships in all these different olympics and you were essentially cheated you were de you were defrauded out of your medal correct yes yes that's uh that's that's the reality. There was, uh, in a way, there was no competition uh, during those years, especially in, in track and field, and uh, that was a failure by by many people. Yes. Wow. Let before we jump to why and all the reasons behind uh, Putin's drive for Sochi and the, the geopolitics of this, let's talk. Let's go back to you and Yulia. You've now decided to work together to to gather evidence. How does that go? What, what do you do on that? On that? Uh, well, the first thing Yulia did, she basically wrote a, a big statement to WADA uh, from explaining everything that she was doing, how she was being prepared in Russia, yes, and, and what kind of prohibited substances she was using. Uh, she wrote it in, in Russian. I translated it to English. We sent this to, to the World Anti-Doping Agency. That was uh, February of 2013. What was in that statement? Well, it was Yulia's statement saying how, how she was uh, a young girl watching the Sydney Olympics and uh, seeing this uh, Russian 
and athletes as superheroes and thinking that, uh, um, you know, she saw those athletes and, and as the statement said, she was happy, she was proud and she, she cried and, uh, she, you know, she felt this, uh, strength as, uh, <laughs> as part of the country that those people are from. And that's how she starts the statement, basically by saying that she never dreamt that she might be one of those athletes who might be able to represent the country uh, at the Olympic Games or uh, World Championships. But, and, 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 but uh, later, step by step, she explains how she got to the point where she was able to compete at, at two World Championships. And uh, the main point was that, unfortunately, <laughs> uh, she isn't a superhero, she's a cheat. And uh, she regrets that, uh, but she was also made to believe that that's the only way to go. And again, over the years, she saw that that's the only way to go because there was cover-ups, there was support from the people that were supposed to fight doping. They actually supported doping. They sold doping to her. She named uh, names. She step-by-step step explained how she went from basically two minutes, 10 seconds, uh, to running one fixed one fifty six ninety nine, which is a pretty good time for international level athletes for eight hundred meter runner, uh, and so how those time improvements were connected to uh, doping usage. But at the same time, she she was explaining that there were often times that her coaches were using her as a guinea pig. They didn't really know how she would react to doping. They didn't really know how to properly use it, but they still gave it to her because there is this uh, goal and hope that maybe you can improve uh, enough so you can compete at national level and you can win national competitions and go to international competitions so you can make money. On, she was on a, she was effectively their racehorse, their guinea pig. They were pumping her up with drugs that they hoped were going to make her fast, but they didn't really know what the long-term health effects would be. Yes, and I, and I believe uh, that's the problem, not just uh, with Russian uh, coaches and officials. That That's how it is uh, with, with any country. Uh, basically, pushing any anybody to this uh, extraordinary limit is, I believe, it's unhealthy. Uh, so, and in, in, we just read this uh, article in in the daily mail right uh, earlier this week about uh, the uk athletes doing the same thing prior to london games that they were giving a drink that supposedly would, was uh made for some military people and nobody really knew what the effect is but they figured uh, it's london games our you know we are the we are hosting it so let's let's give it to those english athletes and uh you know some of them might might vomit uh, some of them might have health effects but maybe some of them will win a few gold medals for our country uh we had one one meeting with one person uh in in march or april of 2013 yes but the problem is that later that year there is a uh big uh, university games happening in Russia in Kazan, which is a big sports event. There is also world track and field championships in Moscow in, uh, in the summer of 2013 as well. And uh, in the beginning of 2014, there are Sochi games. And uh, there is this Yulia statement that basically she is a part of the state-run doping program. 
in the country, which is uh, about to have this uh, great sporting competitions. But, but I guess in a way, Wada felt that, uh, well, she didn't really tell us anything new because her stupid husband told all of these things already in the past three years. So uh, there's nothing really to do about it uh, before this uh, <laughs> competition wow. happened. And, and uh, you know, after that, we'll, we'll see. But, but before the competitions, we, we, uh, we cannot get uh, our bosses, the International Olympic Committee, uh, get upset with us. So uh, we'll just, in a way, not, not do anything about it. And uh, let's not bring any bad news. Uh, to those uh, major competitions in Russia. And all the time that they're ignoring this, you and Yulia are continuing to gather evidence about what's going on. And and I want to emphasize here for our listeners that Yulia is like hundreds of top athletes in Russia. She doesn't really have a choice. Like she wants to compete. She's got to get with the program. She's got to get the dope into her system because she doesn't have that you know, it's not like, hey, you can be part of the program and not dope. Well, you have a choice. You can be a part of it or you find another job. Okay. And uh, But, but in, in general, I, I'd say any elite athlete in, in any country who is able to make a living out of uh, doing sports or playing sports are pretty lucky persons. So if, if a person has a that opportunity everybody would take that chance hmm. and and that's that's how it was offered to Yulia you know you can be a, a part of this uh, program which allows you to cheat which uh, pays you well which uh, which allows you to be employed by the Russian police or by Russian by the Russian army and uh, all you have to do is make sure you you win your national championships you go to international competitions and you win medals there as well and uh so in in a way it was a pretty well set up system behind the scenes and uh of course if you offered this uh not many people would say oh now nah, I'll, I'll just find a job at some factory and i'm gonna be a regular worker without seeing anything in the world and uh, uh you know without having much future what happens to you personally? There's a bunch of questions I'm going to unpack later on in our, our interview about what you've just said, but what happens next? You're in 2013, the University Games, the World Championship, and then, of course, the Sochi Winter Olympics are about to happen. What, what, what happens with you and Yulia during that time? What do you guys do? Uh, well, the short statement is uh, uh, by the beginning of 2014, bo- both of us uh, understand uh, that Yulia was right, <laughs> and and now not just I am the idiot. Uh, we are family of idiots, and uh, <laughs> and and nobody wow. and, and nobody is really fighting doping. And and you know there are Olympics in Sochi. Who who gives a damn about? <laughs> about these two crazy Russians that are telling everybody the truth inside water, and nothing's uh-huh. happening. Yeah, or about fair competition when the host country is offering to to pay. Uh, uh, Fifty billion dollars to to have those Olympics in in a summer resort have uh, uh, winter Olympic games. Uh, so that that's that's the reality. I, I think a lot of sports officials, uh, maybe even within WADA executive board, uh, they were blinded by those billions of dollars. 
which and, and uh, so, the so, so and, and to yes. answer, so, so bo- both of us uh, by the beginning of 2014 we've given up on doping fighting yes right this is, there is as much as you know I, i've been informing water for four years my wife joined me she sanctioned uh, russians in in the summer of 2013 and the world uh, athletics championships they won the most gold medals in the competitions did better than the u.s athletes so obviously we are both seeing that the system is working and uh, there is no <laughs> no no place for for people like us in it later i would learn that these people are called whistleblowers but but you didn't give up i mean that's what i find extraordinary about you vitali is that you keep fighting even though it's the darkest point you then do something else you you move to do something else and you agree to do something else tell us about what you did well it's I, I'd say, I guess sometimes you uh, you put your life into, you know, you don't try to plan too many things. You just live your life and, and see where it takes you. And that's how we approached it. Uh, and actually, a few weeks after the Olympics, uh, Sochi Olympics in 2014, I received an email from uh, uh, Jack Robertson, who is at that time as a chief investigative officer at the World Anti-Doping Agency, who says uh, simply, I don't think WADA can do much with the information that you have, but here is this uh, uh, German investigative journalist, Hayo Seppelt. Yes. Uh, talk to him and, and, uh, and maybe you can make something happen together with him and, uh, and kind of keep, keep WADA out of it. And again, Vitaly, you got a choice at that moment. You know, it, it, in 2014, you could have just said, hey, thanks. You know, I've done what I'm supposed to do. I've done what I get paid to do. I've done, you know, I've told WADA. They haven't done anything. Okay, I'm out of here. But you don't do that. You, you, you continue with the German journalist. What happens? Uh, well, Yulia and I, we just had a baby, our son, Robert, uh, in November of 2013. So that's a few months later. Um, so obviously, anti-doping is uh, is not our top priority at that point. Yes, and and we never really got the impression that it is even even a top priority for anti-doping officials. So uh, <laughs> we didn't feel that we were <laughs> any different from most of the other people. Uh, so I get this email, and uh, yeah, one night we are laying in bed with uh, uh, with my wife and our son, son next to us, and I. I become brave enough and I, you know, I say, uh, you know, I said we, we move on from this thing. But I remember this guy we met with last year in, in April, uh, he wrote to us and uh, he wants us to speak to a journalist. Uh, and her first reaction was like, um, wow, you're really not getting any smarter. <laughs> uh, but we had all night ahead of us, so I uh, I convinced her that you know uh, let's uh, you know let's let's talk uh, because uh, throughout those years I I said I I don't know uh, uh, you know what's really going on between behind the scenes who is really fighting and who is covering up doping use but but if I have the opportunity to in a way to help uh, clean athletes to 
to compete on a level playing field and hopefully some of them can win on, in an honest way and they can be good uh, uh, heroes for our children. I, I tried to do that. So that, that was always something that I was coming back that coming back to basically saying I, in a way I made a promise to myself if I get the opportunity to fight for something right, something I loved doing sports and making it better, I, I, would, I would do it. Even if life is taking me in a different direction. It, it, it's difficult, however, just to be the devil's advocate, not to feel some sympathy for Yulia, who's lying in bed with this crazy guy that for five years now, ever since your first date, she's been like, idiot, like, come on, get with the program. Everybody else is cheating. The guys who are supposed to be stopping the cheating are running the cheating. You know, the, the heads of the Russian anti-doping agency are doing this our political masters behind us, you've done the right thing. You've gone to the World Anti-Doping Agency. And they basically now said, for whatever reason, look, there's nothing we can do. Go to a journalist. And, and you still write to that German journalist. What happens then? What happens next? Uh, so Jack Robertson puts uh, me and Hayo uh, Seppelt in, in touch. Uh, Hayo Seppel just uh, did a uh, uh, small piece on uh, on a Russian athletes uh, supposedly do doping in, in Sochi. Uh, yeah, I, I forgot the exact topic of, of his work, but he started working in Russia, and, and that's what the reason he approached WADA. He said, do you have any more people? And, uh, and yeah, I guess WADA said, yeah, well, uh, maybe. <laughs> You, you, there's a, a crazy family you can talk to, uh, an anti-doping <laughs> official who got fired and uh, and uh, who, who's uh, uh, you know who has a wife who is a doper, and uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> you can talk to them. He became interested. He he came to uh, our apartment in in Russia. We spoke for about an hour. Uh, then it was time to to feed our son uh, Robert. So Yulia went to a different room. And so I went, followed her. I said, nah, so what do you think about this guy? And uh, uh, she said, I, I kind of like him. Uh, nice, uh, crazy German journalist. <laughs> Maybe we can connect. Uh, so I said, so should we give him uh, your, your statement that you wrote to WADA uh, more than a year ago about all, all everything that you know? And she said, yeah, you go ahead. Uh, it's it's kind of, you lead, I follow. It's, uh, so I, I can blame you if things don't work out. <laughs> right. Uh, so I go back to Hayo and I give him the, this uh, statement. He starts reading the statement. And a few minutes later, he comes back to me and he says, uh, but this is like East Germany in the 80s, only, only it's happening now in, in Russia. And yes, I'm interested. I, I'm I'm still, you know, Vitaly, you and I have known each other for years, and but there are details coming up in this conversation, and I still find it extraordinary that after five years of trying to blow the whistle, you've now got a young son, a baby son. Most people would have just said, you know what, <laughs> I'm done. You know, I've done the best thing I've done. Because we've also skipped over, I realized in, in this thing, that you've been fired from Rosada because they figured out that you're whistleblowing on them and you're a good guy. Like it's, it's, you've really paid a heavy price at this moment, but now you are going to go and do 
an extraordinary interview, an interview that blows really it wide open, this whole scale, because you and Hayo do a documentary together, which exposes everything that you've been saying. What was the effect of that documentary on your life? Well, again, in our approach, it was always, uh, you know, take one step at a time, do what you can, and, and don't don't plan. Uh, in fact, uh, the, there is a saying in Russia, if, uh, if you want to make God smile, tell him your plans. Uh, so uh, yes. in, in a way, I, I personally, in my life, and that doesn't say good things about me and my planning skills but but in, in fact i know if i plan something uh, most likely it's not going to happen <laughs> so it's like it's like don't don't plan it just do the best you can and uh, see where it takes you you're being modest here um because this isn't just a plan this is an expose of corruption at the heart of one of the world's biggest sporting teams and a deliberately constructed corruption so you're being very modest Vitaly but I'm, I'm interested in the world reaction after that documentary I mean did you and Yulia fear for your lives well when I spoke to Hayo I told him one of the conditions uh, for the documentary to be aired I when it happens I don't want it to I don't want to be in Russia because uh, you know we have a small child and uh, I, I want to be out of Russia and uh, I want to have the ability to to work and to to make some money so I you know but, there but is what, financial support understood but what are you afraid of from from the Russians what what do you think is going to happen to you well I didn't want to find out <laughs> you're right yes uh, so that was always the approach uh, at least for for me uh, if you feel that there might be a tense situation ahead of you, avoid it. Especially when you when you decide to fight something openly, when you yes. feel that you've gained enough evidence behind the scenes and you can you can go public with it, and and there is really nothing to discuss with this, uh, uh, you know, un, unethical and uh, probably you can even call them criminals, uh, sport at least sports criminals. There is nothing to talk about with these people if you're trying to fight them. Uh, what the what their reaction would be for losing their possibly losing their jobs, losing their careers, uh, for the fact that somebody accusing them that you know all this uh, Russian super power is a uh, it's pretty fake. Uh, it's it's not because uh, the athletes themselves are they're some kind of superheroes and super strong it's it's simply because they cheat and and there are people surrounding you know around them that help them cheat and uh and the ministry of sports the governmental structure is completely aware of that and they actually set up a, a doping system within the russian ministry of sports not just within the anti-doping agency but on the governmental level as well uh, so I, I, I didn't think anybody's going to thank us for, for what we say. So I, I wanted to avoid those conversations. And, and the, the second part was, if there is some kind of uh, investigation after that, after we go public, I, I just didn't see that I'd be able to provide freely all, all the evidence that we have. Because within, you know, 
the Russian territory. I, I, I thought that, you know, probably the next day some FSB officials or uh, some other people, even without having their badges, would, would show up and would tell you, uh, you know. Some you, very bad things. Yeah, yeah you, 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 you didn't, you weren't smart, which I was aware uh, but but the second part would have been you better stop <laughs> and yes. give us what you have, and obviously I didn't want to have that conversation. So you you get out of the country, you take your young son, you take your uh, wife, and you go into hiding. Uh, we won't discuss where you are in the world, but you're still in hiding five years later. Well, th this part is is not really. Uh, we we were in Germany for almost one year, and then we moved to the. United States of America for the past five years, we are in the U.S. in uh, almost uh, uh, right. Almost four years ago, we applied yeah. for asylum here, and uh, we are currently waiting for for the American authorities to schedule an interview date with us. So uh, somebody, uh, an immigration uh, officer, would talk to us and see if we have an asylum case. Right. Well, I, I can't think of a better. Frankly, I can't think of a better asylum case. Um, there was after this um, expose documentary on German television, there was a multiplicity of reports. There was the Schmidt report by the International Olympic Committee. There were two reports by Richard McLaren and and by Richard Pound. But the, the basic summation of all those reports is that you were right. The evidence that you and Yuli had gathered was right and that everything that you're saying in this interview is correct that there was a um, a, a state-sponsored doping uh, scheme at the very heart of the Russian Olympic team, linked to the FSB, the Russian Secret Service, and linked to Russian government officials. After you now, you know, twenty twenty, as we talk now, what do you what do you think, Vitaly, about this journey and what you've done? What, do you, do you regret doing it? Do, do you have a sense that you shouldn't have done it or, or are you proud that you did it? I, again, this is uh, you just live one day at a time. We, we don't know if we would be able to stay in, in the place where we are at now. Uh, and that would be in a way, I guess the conclusion of our uh, somewhat journey uh, with trying to fight doping in, in sports, you know, if we are allowed to stay in, in the U.S., it, uh, I, I guess, and then maybe it, it's not even completely connected, but, but for, for our life, just daily life, that's, that's important. You, we, we made the step, we left the country, we don't feel safe going back. Yes. But, but and for the past four years, we've been waiting to, to be you know, scheduled for an interview with American authorities. And whenever that may happen, if we are interviewed and we are told, uh, well, uh, you know, uh, you, you don't give you uh, asylum in the U.S., you, you have to leave the country, then, then we just have to continue the journey and trying to find another place to live at. Uh, but, but, in, but in general, I, I, I believe... Uh, you know, I, if I could go back, would I do it again? Yes. Uh, would I do something differently? Yes, I would. I would have, uh, uh, both of us would have gotten more evidence, would have uh, had more evidence earlier. And I, I don't think uh, competitions like uh, 
Russian, well, Moscow World Championships in track and field or Sochi Olympics would have been that badly messed up if if uh, people started acting sooner. How do your how do your families who live in Russia? How do your your family and Yulia's family in Russia? How do they react to you guys? It's a tough question. I, I, I know. I, I know. There's been some stuff we talked about this, but but please tell I, our I, listeners. I, I, I don't think Yulia's part of the family ever really liked me or what I <laughs> what I tried to stand for. Uh, in a way, I took away their daughter. In in a way, whom they haven't seen for uh, for more than five years now, almost six six years now. Uh, with my family, uh, I I can say that. The propaganda, the medium media propaganda works. It works really well. Uh, my father likes to watch TV, and uh, in a way, uh, he believes the TV and uh, and not me. <laughs> you know, I, I, I tried to make a, an argument with with him a few times. I said, "Do you remember all those times when I was within Rosada? I was coming to you, coming back uh, to to the hometown, and I was telling you what I was seeing and how terrible things are, and we are." Instead of being anti-doping agency, we are a doping agency. Yes. And uh, and his argument is, but the TV says, <laughs> but the TV in Russia says, uh, and uh, and so I about three, probably three or four years ago, I I stopped even talking about this topic. You know, we we all have different of opinions, and uh, we all stand up for different things. And, and just to be clear, the TV in Russia is calling you Judas. It's calling you traitor. It's calling you all these these things, is it? Yes, and that uh, everything was prearranged. And uh, well, uh, again, Western uh, people from uh, the Western world, mainly English-speaking countries, they are afraid of Russians. They know that Russians are stronger, but they cannot compete with them on the level playing field in competitions. So they try to use world anti-doping agency to get rid of those uh to get rid of those uh, super humans from russia so uh, <laughs> westerners can compete against themselves and this is what your father is believing against his own son there's a, there's another thing that you and i have spoken about and that is the film icarus which won the academy award two years ago and that portrays a guy who was at the head of the russian anti-doping agency as a hero as a as a whistleblowing guy who revealed everything, tell me your views on that, please. Well, uh, Doctor Rochenkov, who was the head of the Moscow Anti-Doping Lab for a long period of time, yes. Uh, in the in the end of 2015, he left Russia. He uh, fled to the U.S. in the summer of. Well, in actually late spring of 2016, he openly became a whistleblower, just like us, uh, telling everything that he knows. So in the big big picture, I am thankful for the fact that he went public with everything that he knows, because that was our hope that if we start talking, maybe somebody else starts talking. And uh, in a way, he became our teammate, in a way. And if you look for a teammate uh, fighting doping and for a whistleblower who can tell you things, uh, <laughs> the, the head of the anti-doping lab who was uh, running doping programs, maybe your best teammate. <laughs> okay. Uh, 
so so in the big picture it's a, it's it, the reality I, I i thank him for what he did and and if you take uh, smaller parts the icarus documentary how things became public i i disagree with that because i i i believe the icarus documentary makers they they had the goal of uh, uh of winning uh, oscars and of making money as their top priority and fighting doping was was their uh not the top priority and and that was i guess somewhat different from my views and that was partially why uh why in in spring of 2016 when i started talking to dr rochenkov in skype and when he tells me openly oh i'm working on this great documentary and it's going to win oscars and again two years later it actually wins oscars <laughs> uh, so actually, some people are good at planning, <laughs> uh, but when I learned that, so in a way, that's that's the top priority of documentary makers: uh, find the best time to go public with everything he knows with this documentary, sell it to Netflix or whoever buys it, uh, and there are real games ahead of us, and there are also World Anti-Doping Agency who is behind the scenes aware that Dr. Rochenko fled and he's talking, but, but in a way sitting again on the information and, and not willing to do anything about it because they don't want to get the International Olympic Committee upset right before Rio games, because again, that's negative publicity for the Olympics. Uh, and that's, uh, that's when I felt that, okay, you know, for the past three years, I asked my wife, to make the recordings and then you know reuse it as, as the initial step of the evidence. Well, maybe I, in a way, now I, I, I'll be the person who makes the recordings and who goes public with it. Uh, and again, it wasn't as dangerous because it was just Skype conversations, but 15 hours of Skype conversations with the uh, anti-doping lab director right. who, who admits that he ran the doping program. I thought that's... Uh, Maybe that can lead to another investigation. So that's uh, when 60 Minutes happened. And uh, obviously 60 Minutes, like a few days before they go public, they go to Rochenkov and they tell him, I, can you, do you want to say something to us? And, and, and my view is uh, that the documentary makers, they felt that maybe we leave the TV uh, people, the people that watch the TV out of it for now, and maybe we just go to newspapers for now. Right. But but in general we we cannot say, we have to say something because we want to be credible. Hey, hang on, but, but I, I I just I don't want to get into their mindsets. I just want to get into what you know about you and Yulia, and that is that this guy at the center of the Icarus documentary was running the program, and I remember seeing your anger at him being betrayed <clears throat> in a public sphere at the Play the Game conference as a as a hero who'd done this and you guys had been the whistleblowers from the beginning who had risked your life, your career and everything to do this. Well, again, this was a disagreement between me and, and Yulia. Uh, she, she was the part of the doping program and in a way there are also health, uh, mm -hmm. negative health effects to, to that. So she was angrier with, with Dr. Rochenkov and, and, and we were sitting actually next to Brian Fogel. Yes. I, I was angrier with uh, Brian Fogel because I felt that he took the truth and to, to make it more interesting, he, he exaggerated it. 
So I, I didn't agree with that approach, even though I understand that he's from, from the show business and that's how it works. You, you well, in a way you lie by, to, to make more attention. Uh, but, but in the big picture, we, I, we are thankful to Dr. Rochenkov that he went public and I, I hope that he was completely honest with everything that he did in the past, just like my wife uh, was. Yes. Let's wrap up our conversation. And I really want to thank you. And I know that our listeners want to thank you both for taking your time because this has been pretty uh, intense conversation, Vitaly, with a lot of emotion and a lot of stuff where you're, you're really pulling it up. Let me finish with this question. What would you say to an athlete or a sports official right now in 2020 who faces the same kind of challenges, you know, be it in China, be it in, you know, whatever country of the world that is carrying on this kind of doping, what advice would you give or, or America or Canada or Europe or, you know, what, what advice would you give to that athlete or that sports official that really wants to make a difference? I, I, I guess in a way I prefer not to give any kind of advice. Uh, but if if you are if you strongly believe in uh, that you are right and there is something wrong going on, uh, you you can make a difference. You can try to fight it, and uh, you will find support. There there are people that fight for the uh, for the right cause, and uh, the investigative journalists like you, yourself you think- might might be your your biggest supporters at least. Do you, in do you the, think in the sports? infrastructure let's leave outside investigative journalists like myself and Hayo and these other guys is the sports infrastructure better now in 2020 than it was in 2010 or has nothing changed yes i believe it's better yes okay at, at least uh, the water code now says that if if there is a problem within a certain country what what i can investigate yes <laughs> They don't have to send that information back back, uh, back to the country who is cheating. Vitaly, thank you very much for your time this morning. Uh, thanks very much for sharing with our listeners this time. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of flabbergasted. I, I don't have any more questions or, or I have too many. We could be talking for three hours. But thank you both for your time today and also for your work. You are a genuine hero. I think uh, – our listeners will agree at all this difficulty that has come up, and I really appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, and thank you for listening. This is Declan. Just a word to say thank you for listening to the interview with Vitaly. If you'd like any more information about his story and how you can support him in any way, please go to our website. And please, on social media, do the usual. Subscribe or like us. It's hugely appreciated.